If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Genesis chapter 41. Just a word before we get into the sermon. Um, Remember some years ago, uh, we were going through Colossians, I think, and I had preached an entire sermon on either one or two verses. And somebody made the comment to Gia's like, wow, I Damon got a lot out of those two verses. Um, Today we're going to look at four chapters. Um, And for the most part, I'll be reading them and just making a few comments. But we're doing them all because they all fit together as a whole, as a story. Okay. Here in chapter 41 of Genesis, we saw last week that the third pair of dreams occurs. Joseph had two dreams, the cupbearer and the butt and the baker had dreams, and now Pharaoh has had two dreams. And Joseph is able to interpret these dreams. It is a result of something we heard four times in chapter 39, that the Lord was with him. And it's, it's one might say, really, as a slave, the Lord was with him. As a prisoner in prison, the Lord was with him. But yes, the Lord was with him. And for the third time during his stay in Egypt, it's been 13 years now, Joseph is put in charge. He was put in charge of Potiphar's house. He was put in charge of the prison. And now Pharaoh has put him in charge of all of Egypt. He's gone from being sold as a slave, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, being imprisoned. Now he is only second to Pharaoh. In being put in prison, Joseph faced humiliation. But it is that through this experience that he is able to experience, well, he has experienced both lows and highs without falling into despair or into conceit. When he interpreted the cupbearer's dream and it came to pass, he said, please mention me to Pharaoh because I was falsely accused. But in fact, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph until two years later. It's another two years before Pharaoh will have the dream. Two more years as a prisoner. But it is during this time, I think, that Joseph's character is purified. It's purged of pride. So that when the time comes to stand before Pharaoh, Joseph is ready. See, without his time as Potiphar's slave and being made administrator of his house, without his time in prison, and his pride being stripped away, Joseph would not have been ready. The Lord, in fact, was with him every step of the way, preparing him for the awesome task of being in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. We need to remember that there are no shortcuts. Joseph could not have gone from being a slave to being second in one step, being second to Pharaoh. He didn't have the necessary skills. First of all, he didn't speak Egyptian. He didn't know the custom. He didn't know how they did things there. But he also needed to have administrative skills. He came in, as I said last week, as an entry-level slave. And as he learns, as he progresses, he learns more and more, and he is given more and more responsibility. By the way, he couldn't have gone from being a slave to being second to Pharaoh because it's not yet time for the seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine. God's timing is perfect. By the way, when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, something I failed to emphasize last week, it is very much God-centered. In chapter 41, verse 16, you know, Pharaoh says, oh, you can interpret dreams. And he says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. In verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 32, the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. We should not lose sight of this. Um, In what Gia read to us today of Daniel's situation, first of all, Daniel is in exile. He was, in fact, from Judea from Jerusalem, and now he is in Babylon, basically as a captive. And God gives him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel is very careful to say, this is something that God has done. 
It is the power of God which stands in contrast to the weakness of political rulers like Pharaoh and like Nebuchadnezzar. So now Joseph's life has changed forever. He is now in charge. Look, if you would, chapter 41, verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food, grain grown, uh, the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up a huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, saying, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole of Egypt, whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. We're given a timeline here. Joseph is 17 when he goes to look for his brothers and then they sell him as a slave. He's now 30 years old. It's been 13 years of being a slave and being a prisoner. And now he is second to Pharaoh. He's given all the symbols of authority. He's given Pharaoh's signet ring. He is given robes of fine linen, a gold chain around his neck, and a chariot as Pharaoh's second in command. And he is put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He's given a new name, an Egyptian name. He's given the name Zaphnath Pania. By the way, as I was preparing this, I kept saying, that doesn't sound right. But it's because I was raised with the King James, and it is Paania. There's two A's. What's fascinating to me is we are not told what this name means. And if you've been with us in our study of Abraham, we are told almost every time what the name comes from. Uh, Jacob's sons, why Leah named her sons what she did. Joseph, may the Lord add to me another son. All the names are given meaning, you know, the meanings of the name. Not this name. By the way, if you look in commentaries, there are at least five different interpretations of what this name means. I think it misses the point. He's given a new name, an Egyptian name. Okay? And he's given a wife, Asenath. So he's given a new job, a new name, and a new wife. Asenath gives him two sons before the seven years of famine came. The two names given are not Egyptian. Okay? The names given are, in fact, Hebrew. And Joseph names them. If you remember, Jacob's wives named their sons. But Joseph is the one who names his sons. The first is Manasseh. And it sounds like making to forget in Hebrew. It's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. There's still mixed feelings, I think, as that chapter of his life closes. Now he has a new life. He has a wife. He has a son. It's a new life. 
in a sense, he says, okay, God is closing the door for me to that, to my past, and I will not remember it anymore. It's been more than 13 years. Um, he wants to forget. The second son is Ephraim. His name sounds like making fruitful. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He still remembers that the 13 years in Egypt previous to this were not pleasant. Yes, Asenath is fruitful. She gives him a second son. But the land is also fruitful during these seven years of abundance. And then I would point out, because... It, it's important for the rest of the stories. Joseph is, in fact, a hands-on administrator. He goes out through all the land, we're told in verse 45, and then in verse number 48, 49. Uh, he goes out. He is a hands-on administrator. When the famine comes, the people go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, don't look at me, go to Joseph, and whatever he tells you to do, that's what you're supposed to do. And then we're told something very interesting at the end of the chapter, that in fact the famine is not simply in Egypt, but it is throughout the known world at that time. It was severe in all the world. And this opens the door for what will come next. Genesis chapter 42, next chapter, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So what we were just told at the end of chapter 41 is in fact true, that the famine is not simply in Egypt, but it is throughout the world. Now, this is really interesting because the agricultural cycles, if you wish, in Canaan, where Jacob is, and Egypt are quite different. Um, every year, the Nile River would flood, and it would bring silt from uh, deep in Africa and bring it, and it, then the waters would go down, and so the soil was always fertile. Canaan, on the other hand, relied on rainfall. So if you remember the story of Abram, there was a, a famine in Canaan, and he went down to Egypt because there was food there. For there to be a famine in both Canaan, that depends on rainfall, and Egypt, which relies on the Nile, is really, really unusual. And it shows how severe, in fact, the famine was. Jacob hears that there's food in Egypt. We don't know how he heard this, but he tells his sons, you know, why are you guys just standing around looking at each other? Go down and get some food so that we may survive. Verse 3. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Just speculation, but could it be that Jacob was suspicious of what had happened to Joseph? Benjamin and Joseph have the same mother, Rachel, the wife that he loved, and he will not let Benjamin go. Okay. He lost one son. He does not want to lose the other. Benjamin is the baby of the family. But let's not project onto that what that means. Uh, we will find out later in chapter 46, at this point, Benjamin has 10 sons. <laughs> so he's not a teenager. He's not even in his 20s. He's probably in his mid to late 30s. But Jacob will not let him go. He treats him as uh, his child. He is his child, but he is very concerned for him and he remains protective. Verse 5. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine in the land of Canaan also. The famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Again, Joseph is a hands-on administrator. You know, I think if people are coming from out of the country to buy grain, even within the country, you've got underlings that will take care of that. But Joseph is very much a hands-on administrator. The question is, how is he now going to treat these men who wanted to kill him, but then decided that they would sell him into slavery? Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. 
Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. See, at this point in the story, he recognizes them, but he pretends to be a stranger. They didn't recognize him. And I think part of the issue is context. He's probably dressed as an Egyptian. Um, I don't know that he has changed that much in the years. At this point, it's been 20 years because you have 13 years and then seven years of of, uh, plenty and then two years of famine thus far, Um, they don't recognize him. They certainly don't expect him to see him there. Does he recognize him, or is it the fact that there are 10 brothers, and then he recognizes one, and there's a, oh, that's who this is. He recognizes them. He speaks harshly to them, and it seems that he's being vindictive. And particularly as we go along in the story, it seems that, boy, Joseph is being really mean to them. But who could blame him? The last time he saw these men, they planned to kill him. They threw him into a dry well. They sat down to eat while he's crying for help. And then they sold him into slavery. They did this to their own flesh and blood. These are cold-hearted men, as far as he remembers. Are they still the same? Or had they changed? They bow down to him, and then Joseph remembers the dreams he had all those years before. That, in fact, they have bowed down to him. I think part of the story is difficult for us because we have cell phones, we have satellites, we have the Internet. It's hard for us to imagine there being people with whom we have no contact. But for more than 20 years, Joseph has had no contact with Canaan. He has no idea what's been going on in Canaan. He wants to know what his brothers are up to. And so he does, if you remember, if you've seen on TV shows, the good cop, bad cop, he does the bad cop, bad cop. There's no good cop here. I mean, he keeps saying, you guys are spies. You guys are spies. And so to prove that they're not, he's like, you've got to bring your youngest brother down. It is interesting that they tell the whole family story. No, we're not spies. We're 12 brothers. The youngest is with our dad, and one of our brothers is gone. It's like, this is too much information. I didn't ask you your family history. I said that you were spies. And as people say, oftentimes when people are accused of a particular crime, a big crime, they'll confess to a lesser one to sort of get away from that. That's, yeah, they're just... I find it very strange that they tell this total stranger their family history. Um, Well, the proof that he wants is, in fact, Benjamin. Verse 16, send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. At this point, the brothers should have begun to get a hint that this something is going on here. For the governor of Egypt to say, I fear God, would certainly not be a typical thing that you would hear. Verse 19, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. So instead of nine staying and one going, one will stay and the nine will go back. Um, But there's a condition, verse 20. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Then verse 21, I find it amazing. The incident of 20 years ago has come back to haunt them. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. 
We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Twenty-two years later, their consciences still bother them. The harshness and the requirement that the one remaining brother be brought, Benjamin, and that Simeon be put in prison is seen as punishment for what they did. Surely we are being punished. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded us with us for his life. All these years later, that's the thing that comes to mind. And I was reminded of the story of uh, an Indian hermit guru, holy man who lived in a clay cave at the top of a mountain somewhere. And uh, one day uh, a foreign visitor went to see him to see, you know, gain wisdom. And the first thing that this man said was, I haven't thought about a woman in 20 years. It's like, really? Um, you, you won't mind if I doubt you because that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. And when Joseph is harshed in, the first thing they think is, It's because of what we did to Joseph. That is something that has been on their mind all these years. And Reuben, he's the oldest. He's like, I told you guys, I told you not to do this. And you did, and now we have to give an account for his blood. Um, Reuben is the oldest. Simeon is the second oldest. And rather than Reuben being kept in prison, Simeon is, okay, He is to remain behind, and he is bound in front of them. Was Joseph being vindictive? I would say not at all. Listen to what follows, verse 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? By the way, if Joseph had been vindictive, he wouldn't have put grain in their sacks. He would have put dirt or trash or something. Okay. Um, or he could have simply said, no, I'm not going to sell you any grain. We got plenty of customers are lining up around the block. Yeah, I'm not going to sell you any grain. He was not, in fact, being vindictive. And their consciences, once again, are troubled. They go home and tell Jacob what has happened. Verse 29. When they came back to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father, one is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. It's really strange. They are troubled by Joseph's kindness. Um, Verse 35, as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. He's kind to them, and they are frightened because of their consciences. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. 
If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. In Jacob's mind, he's lost two sons, Joseph and now Simeon. And the language is Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. Well, Simeon's still there. He's just in prison. But it's almost as though he's written him off that he's not coming back. And he will not allow Benjamin to go down. My son will not go there with you. He said, he's the only son I have left. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> there are nine sons here talking to you. Simeon is in prison. Oh, but Benjamin is the only son left from Rachel, the wife that he loved. Chapter 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you, are not, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. And we will go at once so, we will, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame all my life. I don't know if you remember, but the irony here is so strong. Who was it? Whose idea was it to sell Joseph? It was Judah's idea. It was Judah. And now Judah's like, I guarantee Benjamin's safety. It's like, really? <laughs> like you did with Joseph? I think I would want a better guarantee. Now in verse 10, he scolds his father. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. J Jacob keeps putting this off. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift, a little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. He tells them, bring a gift, bring the products of the land and you know, give them as a gift uh, to the governor there. Verse 12, take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back to me. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. It's interesting, uh, verse 14, may God Almighty grant you mercy. El Shaddai, this was the name that God told Abraham when he entered into covenant with him in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So this name is tied to God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants, his purposes for his people. Verse 15, so the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into the sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver the exact weight in the mouth of his sack, so we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. 
We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. You'll notice the steward didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. I put it back in there. He makes it sound as though it's almost a miracle. The God, the God of your father, sort of dropped from heaven and ended up in your sacks. Um, He brings Simeon out to them. And so now you have in the same room all 12 brothers for the first time in more than 22 years. Verse 24, the steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They, they prepared for their gifts, their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because he had heard they were there to eat. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. Then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well, and they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had finished, after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves. The Egyptians ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for it is detestable to Egyptians. This is, I I don't know if I'd say it's a social thing, but I mean, in the same way that Jews later on will not eat with Gentiles, uh, the Egyptians would not eat with non-Egyptians. I don't think it's so much a social prejudice as it is a belief that outsiders would defile you. That sort of sounds like prejudice, doesn't it? So Joseph eats with the Egyptians and his brothers uh, eat by themselves. Verse 33, the men who had been seated before him, the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Chapter 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the man's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up to them, or with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good for evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated the these words to them. But they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back from the land of Canaan the silver we found in the mouths of our sack. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? So they denied taking the cup. They swear an oath, far be it from us. And they point to their behavior in the past. You know, the silver somehow accidentally ended up in our sacks and we brought it back. We're honest people. Why would you think that we would steal something so prominent? I mean, if you're going to steal something, steal something that no one will notice missing. But this is what what the governor drinks from. Why would we do that? And then they take a step further, a fateful step. You know, it's been said that if you're a lawyer and you're questioning a witness, never ask a question to which you don't know the answer. But that's precisely what they do. Verse 9, if any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave, and the rest of you will go free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered the sack to the ground and opened it. 
Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they loaded, they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. It's disaster. The one thing that Jacob said is, I won't let Benjamin go. And finally he lets him go. And now it looks like Benjamin is going to be a slave in Egypt. While Joseph was still in the house, when Judah and his brothers came in, they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. What guilt is Judah talking about? Could he in fact be saying more than he realized? Verse 17, but Joseph said, far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the one who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there's a young son born to him in his old age. Your, his brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see for him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the, fa- the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless our, your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, and we told him what the Lord had, my Lord had said, then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you will take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please... Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Fascinatingly, Judah makes an impassioned plea for Benjamin's life. The question then comes up, well, two, is Joseph being vindictive and if he, why is he going through this whole charade? I mean, the silver and the grain, okay. But the golden cup and then being accused of stealing from him, why does he go through this? I would argue he wants to see if his brothers have changed. Are they the same men that they were more than 20 years ago? More than 20 years earlier, they had sold him into slavery. They just wrote him off. would they simply write Benjamin off? They knew that Rachel was their dad's favorite wife. She's now gone. He had two sons and Joseph was his favorite. Now Benjamin, are they going to treat Benjamin the way they did Joseph? They they knew it would kill Jacob. Yeah, but they knew Jacob would suffer when they sold Joseph into slavery. Have they changed? Are they still the same evil men that they were all those years earlier? Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, 
Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. This is something we will hear again in the last chapter of Genesis. It is human freedom and divine sovereignty. Both. One does not have to cancel out the other. Joseph says to them, you sold me. God sent me. And why did God send him? Preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. Does this say that what they did wasn't, it's okay? No. They did a terrible thing. But God was able to use it for his purpose. Their jealousy, their cold-heartedness sold Joseph to Egypt into slavery. But God is the one who sent him there. Verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down quickly. Bring him down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I'm reminded of the scene when Jacob and Esau see each other after 20 years. And the last time they parted was not on good terms. Esau was threatening to kill Jacob. And the brothers had wanted to kill Joseph, but instead sold him into slavery. But now there is reconciliation, there is kissing, there is weeping. But something else here, his brothers talked with him. They conversed, they talked. We will look at more. Lord willing, next Sunday. But let me finish reading this chapter, but we will look at it next week. Verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each one he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. I just have to stop there for a minute. This is like one of my favorite parts of this whole story. Um, The 10 brothers are going to go back, and he tells, you know, they're going to go back and tell Jacob the wonderful news, Joseph is alive. Um, How did that happen? 
I thought he got torn to bits by a wild animal. Um, the temptation would be to point, yeah, it was his fault. He did it. Yeah, but you went along with it. And it's like, okay, go home. Don't quarrel on the way. Just go back and get our father. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Okay, we've looked at four chapters here, four plus chapters. And what are we to take home with us from this passage? How does this apply to us? It's a nice story for Sunday school for the children, but here we are, we're adults. It's a worship service. What are we to take from this? Well, I think for certain people, certain verses come to mind. For some people, Numbers 32, verse 23 comes to mind. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. All these years later, the sin of the brothers finally comes back and bites them. I think people quote this verse in a very vindictive way rather than allowing for divine grace. And I think that many people take this verse and use it to flagellate themselves rather than embracing God's grace and God's mercy. The context is very important. Um, Israel has come through the wilderness. It's been 40 years. But two and a half tribes want to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. So Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. And Moses says, okay, that's fine. You know, we, we all conquered this period. You need to go with the other tribes to conquer Canaan. And he says, if you don't do this, if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. It's a very specific. You've made a promise and if you don't keep this promise, you can be sure that in fact you will be found out. Um, well, in light of what we've seen today, one might argue that the sin of the brothers found them out, rather than considering the grace and the mercy that was shown to them and their families in the face of a terrible famine. Other people might say, no, 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 a better verse for that would be Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whosoever or whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is a principle that we find illustrated time and time again in Scripture. Uh, when the Israelites go to Jericho and they march around, they are told beforehand, you know, the walls are going to come down. Don't take anything. Don't take any loot. Okay? This, is, this all belongs to God. But one man named Achan did take something. He dug a hole in, his, in the ground in his tent and hid it. And in fact, his sin was found out. Or the story in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira, who sold a piece of land. The money was theirs. They didn't have to give it all to the church. But they gave a portion and said, oh, we gave it all. And their sin found them out. Um, but the fact is, the second part of the verse is just as important as the first. Okay. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I think rather than focusing on punishment and guilt, which is what the, bear, the brothers had carried with them for more than 20 years. Their consciences have, for 20 years have bothered them for what they did. Rather than admitting their guilt, because if they admitted their guilt, they'd have to face Jacob and say, well, sorry, Dad, we sold them into slavery. We have no idea what happened to them. But when they are before Joseph, they don't realize he can understand. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but he would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. 
now we, are, we must give an accounting for his blood. I think rather than those two verses, particularly the numbers one, um, one that comes to mind is from the Psalms. Psalm 25, verse number 7. Um, I think you may remember the first part of it, but maybe not the second part. Um, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. How many of us have prayed that? What about the second part of the verse? According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. God is a God of grace and of mercy. For Joseph's part, I think the verse that comes to mind is Romans twelve seventeen. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is what we see in Joseph. He had every reason to seek revenge against his brothers. What he wants to find out is, are they the same men that that they were when they sold him into slavery? And he had an awareness that I think we are often lacking, and that is, as the one sinned against, they sold him into slavery, he recognized that God was in control. You sold me, God sent me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. In the title of the series, Trial and Grace. Certainly we see it in the life of Joseph, who suffered as a slave, as a prisoner, and then in grace is made the second only to Pharaoh but it's also true in the lives of his brothers. His brothers who had done this wicked thing, they sell their own flesh and blood into slavery. For 20 years have gone through the trial of of a conscience that will not let them rest, but they find grace in the presence of Joseph. Trial and then grace. God is a God of all grace. May we never forget that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are fallen. We are broken. Our hearts, our minds do not work as they should. And far too often, we forget your grace and your mercy. And we carry with us the burden of a guilty conscience for things done in the past. I thank you for this amazing story of Joseph and his brothers. Not just for the wonder of the reconciliation, but of forgiveness, of grace, of an awareness of sin, and then of redemption. You are the God of all grace, merciful and mighty. And we bow before you. As Joseph's brothers did before him. And we give thanks for who you are. We thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for this time that we could gather today to worship you. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. And may we have a sense of your grace as we walk through the world this coming week. I pray this in Jesus' name.